1: Listeners of the Mad Scientist podcast, have I got a deal for you! If you follow the social media of the show, you know that I'm a pretty hairy dude, which is why I was really excited when Manscaped reached out and offered to send us some free goodies to see if we wanted to promote it to you all. I've got to say, right now, this is probably one of the best products I have ever bought for myself. Not only is it waterproof, but it also makes sure that you don't get any nicks or things in areas that you probably don't want cuts, to be frank. That's why I'm so happy to say that support for the Mad Scientist podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate in men's hygiene bundles. Join over 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with its exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code MADSCIENCE. That's mad S-C-I-E-N-C-E at Manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 12 million balls. What a great time. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code MADSCIENCE at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com using the code MADSCIENCE. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Nice. Okay. The Judgment of God sent the Calamity to teach the Irish a lesson. That calamity must not be too much mitigated. The real evil with which we have to contend is not the physical evil of the famine, but the moral evil of the selfish, perverse, and turbulent character of the people. Sir Charles Trevelyan, Head of Administration for Famine Relief during the Great Irish Famine.
0: Do you notice how it's always easiest to say that it's teaching somebody else a lesson when things are going poorly? That's that's the guy in charge of relief. He seems like a nice
1: guy. (laughs) What a fucking asshole. Dear listeners, welcome to the Mad Scientist podcast. We're here on Irish Famine Part 3. I can't believe I just cannot get over this guy. He's like... he's like a Captain Planet villain level of evil. He's just insane. It's crazy.
0: Well, the level of like delusion too, like I said, it's like, it's always sort of this act of God when horrible things are happening to other people. It's their judgment, right? But when it's actually happening to you, you never are like, oh yeah, we really asked for this. Nobody says that. No one says that.
1: God punishes other people. He only tests you, though. He
0: tests. Right. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And it's always something external. It's still the Irish's fault.
1: Good God. All right. So, dear (sighs) listeners, last episode, we ended up on the fact that, you know, uh, famine starts up here in 1845. And the government basically, at the time run by Sir Robert Peel, essentially sort of tries to say, like, listen... The Irish are always complaining about something. We don't know how bad this is actually going to be. Let's not worry about it just yet. And in this episode. We're going to talk about how they should have been worrying about it before. They should have kept they should have done anything to stop it during. And how it just it's just. Oh, God, Jake, just roll the tape. Terrible. All right, Marie.
0: Maybe we should also very quickly, you know, give a shout out to our UK listeners, since we had defamed their monarchy in previous episodes and recent events, you know, might, might, you know, soften that a bit. Sorry for your queen. Sorry. Sorry for your queen. Sorry for your loss. Sorry for your country's loss. That's pretty diplomatic, actually. That's
1: very diplomatic, Marie. All right, we're moving past it. So the famine starts off. Well, no. You know what, Marie? Let's get into it. Uh, I don't yeah. understand. We were
0: so close. Okay. We were
1: so I don't I, we were so close. So I, close. So okay. the one weird thing about this, okay. and we're gonna we're actually gonna get into this with a famine too. Okay. It's a really weird. The the UK government mm-hmm of the time. And I even think mm-hmm. still today, and I'm not from the UK, right? I, I can't, mm-hmm. this is just an outsider looking in, right? Mm-hmm. The UK is very, I think, they're very set on history and on kind of decorum and on, you know, uh Things that happened in the past are considered still sort of like it's a again, it's a very like Game of Thrones way of looking at the world. Do you know what I mean? Like it like it like for some reason, it like the queen matters in the modern day outside of just being kind of like a like a living museum artifact you have that tourists come and to gawk
0: at. Well, and I'll argue for this for the sake of for the sake of argument, I will argue pro- Monarchy, I guess, closest way of saying this. I think that we as Americans perhaps don't understand or appreciate the how how much of a cultural institution, the idea of the queen and the throne and the monarchy serve for British identity. I just don't think I don't I don't think it's necessarily in our vocabulary, like there's nothing I would argue in America, there's very few things that we would identify as closely with as As uh, some of the British population identify with and kind of sympathize and and hold you know reverence for the monarchy, I mean can you think of something that is that has such a um such an over i overreach is probably a, a bad word but has such a reach into into your daily life or into your into your general existence that you would literally say "God save the queen
1: i mean I've been to Graceland Marie.
0: You haven't. I mean, Elvis. I've been is. to Dollywood.
1: Like, I've been to Nashville. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. Like, I, <laughs> I understand the catchy. idea of like the king. You know what I mean? But like, I, well, no, I get what you're saying. It's sort of like a. It's sort of a. It's sort of how you know. I think it's always weird whenever you go to like a museum
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you see like you know you go to you go to like Monticello or. Um, whatever, George Washington's um,
0: Colonial Williamsburg,
1: Colonial Williamsburg or whatever. And then it's like, you know, and this and this guy here chewing tobacco and um, drinking whiskey, this is George Washington's great, 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 great grandson. And you're like, who gives a shit? Cool. You know what I mean? Like that? Like, you know, I I always think it's weird when it's like, you know, oh, and this is still like the like somehow that. The idea we, of, like, yeah. the in in America, the idea of, I think, generational wealth mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that. We mm-hmm. have that, of course, right? I mean, oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. you know. We're getting like, good at that. Yeah. We're getting yeah. real
1: good at that, you know. Yeah. Uh. But I think we sort of tend to believe, like, I don't know, in America, I ca- I almost think, like, in America, we think of our, like, rich families as being, like, trashy as shit. You know what I mean? Like, like, I don't know. Does anyone think Paris Hilton is a smart person or like it should be a go should be a leader?
0: Really? Well, yeah, no. Or like Kim Kardashian
1: or like, you know, Warren Buffett, you know, like I I think I think, you know, we have kind of it's a weird difference. Whereas in the UK, I think it's this idea of like, you know, oh, well, they're they're rich. They go to great schools. They go to like I I mean, we have that, too. We just don't call
0: it. I don't know if it's so much wealth. I mean, I think wealth is, the wealth has a huge part of it or the idea of wealth has a huge part of it. I just think like m- the turning point in my head where I was like, we really don't get this was when they were talking about the queue to view the Queen's um, casket. Fucking crazy. the queue not only was inherently British, right? And that it was very well organized. You know, there was like placards and... Um, you know, everyone had, uh, wristbands and there were rules, but it went on for five miles. Like you couldn't, it was, it was insane how long it was that you wouldn't be able to, um, that people, you know, you wouldn't be able to leave the line. You, you couldn't, you know, you were sleeping in that, like we, we'll do that for sporting events for certain things. And that's, you know, or, you know, big, big events for certain things, but like that type of reverence for person, I just don't necessarily I, I, I was like, I just don't get it. And I think that that's it. Like, I'm an American and I don't get it. But that doesn't mean that, like, that, you know, clearly there's uh, a lot of people that still have a lot of really strong I, feelings for yeah, it.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there is, I think, and honestly, listeners, you're <laughs> going to get a lot of that through this episode, of just kind of stuff that I think, as Americans on the outside, we just don't get about this.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? Not really, say, but, really. Not to say that like, like but you I, can't,
1: like you yeah. can't get it. Like I, I under, you know, again, to in a, in, a, in a serious note, I understand. You know, this person has been an institution. She's been around this, and you know, basically for most of our listeners' entire lives.
0: Yeah, this um, living monarch. That's amazing, you know, considering that. You know, they got pretty good at killing off monarchs.
1: (laughs) They did. (laughs) They got real good at it. And, you know, I mean, at the same time, it's a very complicated story, though, because, you know, one country's, you know, I I mean, inevitably, one country's beloved ruler is another Mm -hmm. country's, like, Grim Reaper. You know, I mean, it's...
0: yes, Inevitably, those
1: sorts of things happen here, and and especially for a country that's had such a storied history of conquering and subjugating other countries... Agreed. It gets very complicated. Agreed. But you know this idea, though, of like British decorum or um, reverence for old families, and this almost like this idea that like the genetic stock of these families make them better than other people. You know, that's that's the part I don't really understand. Right? It's almost like again in Game of Thrones, the Targaryens, right? This idea that like the blood of High Valyria. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. makes them fit to rule, right? Like, you know, that, I think, and I don't think that there's, it's almost like the British public just sort of, like, pretend like that's still okay. Like, I don't think anyone actually believes that, right? No one actually believes that the, the monarch, the queen, or the prince, or any of these fucking people, I don't think anyone actually thinks they matter, do they?
0: Oh, that's that's again, that's the thing I just don't think we know, because clearly they do think they matter. Clearly, there's a huge part of that population that have reverence for the monarchy and for whatever it represents to them. And I'd be kind of curious to hear from our, you know, our British UK, you know, listeners, like, what does that entail? Like, I'm I'm I know that it is impossible to excuse them from the empire and from, you know, the travesties that they brought on other people and that have still not answered to, but it still seems like there is, you know, those things coexist, right? There's people out there that are very adamantly anti monarchy, but then there's, again, these people queuing up from all walks of life in the UK to, to see the casket, which I just, I, that's where I was like, I, I just don't get it. I don't know what it is.
1: All right. Now, listen, listen, We gotta talk about the five mile queue in the room. We are sorry for those who liked the queen and cared about the royal family and everything else. We're sorry that your queen died. It sucks whenever anyone dies. We also, though, understand that there's a lot of people who think, awesome. (laughs) She's, you know what I mean? Like, whatever. Like, the monarchy is such a. I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. I just it. think
0: I, I kind of feel like t- the two things can exist, right? Like I, I can say that as an American. I don't understand. And I, I, I have a limited opinion about the monarchy because I'm an American.
1: Yes. All right.
0: We're good. To me, it's like, that's okay. Does that make sense?
1: It does. It does. We're gonna better going to keep about that. I do. You ready, Marie? Okay. Yes, I do. All yeah. right. Okay. So back to the famine.
0: Yes. Back to famine.
1: Last time we talked about how the potato crop starts to show signs of real issue in the year 1845, right? Right before uh the winter starts coming in, so right in the autumn. And at the time, there were really three camps of biologists who thought they who had different thoughts about what the cause of the blight was. And these they, they had three different names. There were the botanists. The degenerate, the, 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 there were three camps, the botanists, and they thought it was all due to bad weather. The, the degenerists, who thought that it had to do with like, you keep growing the same crop again and again and again, and eventually mm-hmm. your, the soil is just going to turn to crap. Mm-hmm. And then there were the fungalists, who thought that this was probably caused by some kind of fungus or something. And of course, we know that they're the ones that were ultimately correct.
0: The fungalists almost always get it right.
1: Almost always get it right. Maybe I do. Again, at this time, though, like understanding what caused the blight. Almost didn't really matter because there was there's no way you were going to control this thing. You know, once the blight got to Ireland and once the blight took hold, there was really nothing you could do. And so at least in terms of stopping the blight or like at least in terms of stopping the biology of what caused the blight to happen. Right. There was really nothing Mm -hmm. you could do. Now, again, at the time here, Sir Robert Peel is the Prime Minister of the UK. He had previously been told by Sir Graham James, um, the Home Secretary, that the Irish exaggeration of the famine was coming in. They were being told it was way worse than it really was, and they had to wait until October to determine if anything really was wrong. And by October... They start getting reports that, like, at least half the potato crop is completely gone.
0: So it is as bad.
1: And it, 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 it is <laughs> worse. It is worse than what was being reported. And so the government finally is spurred into action by mid-October. Now, the thing that Robert Peel becomes best known for, really, at least in terms of kind of domestic policy, I guess he he's, he's also considered the father of, of British policing. He starts um, really like a municipal police force, mm. but he's particularly known for the repeal of what are known as the corn laws. And his first idea when it comes to famine relief is we got to get rid of these corn laws. The corn laws are sort of a weird, like they're a holdover from the days of mercantilism. So remember this is an economy that is slowly becoming capitalist, but is still in kind of a late mercantilism period. And mercantilism as an economic system is as a is a economic system based on trade, right? Mm-hmm. It's based on merchants and the trade of, of goods across the ocean. Now, the idea of the Corn Laws. It's basically economic manipulation by the government in favor of local grain growers. So a corn at that time is known as it's any cereal grain, right? So barley, wheat, oat, corn, you know, anything that we consider like a grain, you know, (laughs) the way that the corn laws worked, they basically were different government interventions to keep the price of UK grains high while artificially increasing the price of imported grains from countries where it should have been cheaper. Yeah, so they're tariffs, really. They're kind of tariffs or taxes or whatever you want to call them. But so there are things like high tariffs on imported grain from the Americas, um, high taxes on importation itself. So um, even if you were just the person bringing it in and not the person who had made the grain, you were still paying that high tax. And sometimes even things as, as, as extreme as setting minimum prices below which it was illegal to sell grain at all. So, like, corn was always going to be, you know, like a half pence a pound or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. artificially created prices. And again, the original idea here was we're going to keep the price of UK grain high as kind of protectionist uh, protectionism for their own economy. The problem was this is a time where... The number of people now living in places where they were not farming, they were manufacturers, they were uh, they were technologists, they were scientists, they were whatever. Other things besides farming, right, as they start moving into a capitalist, industrialized economy, Mm -hmm. the number of farmers drops way down. Yeah, I mean, it's what happened in the United States, right? We became an industrialized economy all of our farming, or a lot of our farming, gets sent over to other countries, and right. so now we right. import way more food right. than we did when we were a main farming economy. And so, the issue, though, here at the time, right? So the UK economy at the time, this means that again, the primary beneficiaries of the Corn Laws staying in place were rich land owning families. What? Because they could continue mm. to reap these high rewards. From a economic activity that was very quickly becoming outdated by just importing grain from other countries. So I have a
0: quick question. Go ahead. In our past episode, we talked about extraction economy. Yes. So can you kind of tie the two things together?
1: Well, that's the thing. And a lot of the part of I think what makes the Irish famine so frustrating is the hypocrisy of of everything, right? Mm -hmm. They are trying to say, so so here's the other thing. Robert Peel's government, Peel is really kind of the, Peel is radically different than the rest of the Tory or Conservative government of the time of which he's the head. The Conservative government in the UK at this time believes in protectionism and mercantilism. They are not Mm -hmm. capitalists yet. The capitalist party, or the Whigs, or the Liberals. Mm. So, mm-hmm. at the time, actually, um, the the conservatives believed that these tariffs, this protectionist tariff on farming goods in the UK, they believed that it was necessary to keep the Corn Laws in place because it kept the English economy going forward, and mm. because the economy was so tied. To the social hierarchy of the UK at the time, they believed that the Corn Laws also kept social order in place.
0: So it's almost like you have an extraction economy, which is taking everything out of Ireland. And then you have the Corn Laws, which are artificially inflating something that doesn't need to be artificially inflated. Yes. So you're basically it's almost like a bubble, right? Because you're 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 doing something and you're and you're making it more expensive without without realizing kind of the ramifications on your own infrastructure.
1: So, yeah, it it is 100 percent a bubble, right? Uh What's what's happening is the landowners, the people who own these large farms, they are continuing to get richer and richer because they are able to keep the price of corn or whatever high, even though the costs of labor are going down with industrialization, with everything else, and the economy slumping. At the same time, because the price of grains within the UK is kept artificially high by the corn laws, mm-hmm. average consumers are getting screwed because now you're getting paid less than it costs to buy the grain you farm to feed your family.
0: Right. And this is in the UK for a certain population as well as... Ireland, Ireland, right
1: now, the particular problem with Ireland was again, um, because again, all of the UK had these problems, right? Scotland had these problems, you know, areas like everywhere in the UK had these problems. What made Ireland so particularly hard hit was the amount of land owned by large landowners was way out of whack with the rest of the country hmm. Right. Way more land was owned by fewer people in Ireland than in other parts of the UK. And because the Irish were because, again, the trade that's coming, the, the trade between Ireland and the UK is one sided. Trade is leaving Ireland. Right. Goods are leaving Ireland yeah. for the UK, whereas in the UK, stuff is coming from all the other colonies, all the, all the other places, which is fine.
0: Yes, but it's still being marked up.
1: Yes. Yeah, it's still being marked up, but still there's at least like variety. There's a little bit of marketplace happening there.
0: Right. You have options. They're limited and expensive versus Ireland that's got jack shit.
1: Exactly. It's a really weird thing, right? So the Corn Laws, they completely go against the tenets of laissez faire capitalism.
0: Hmm. But we were so but 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 we had what's his bucket? Adam Smith. Well,
1: Right? So here's the thing. We were all, we
0: were all down with the uh, laissez-faire. Here's the thing. No, no, we've we've hitched our wagon to laissez-faire.
1: Peel's Peel's government or Peel Peel himself and the Whigs argue that the Corn Laws are standing in the way of Britain taking its place at the forefront of industrial capitalism. They argue that the Corn Laws are stopping Britain from being able to take her rightful place at the head of the world, and so. Peel basically argues for the repeal of the Corn Laws again Mm -hmm. and again and again. He argues for them consistently that they Mm -hmm. should be gone. And the famine finally gives him kind of the background with which he can he can do it. Hmm. So. The famine is now bad. The famine is real bad. Mm -hmm. And so Peel's government says, all right, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to repeal the Corn Laws and we're going to set up a relief commission That'll have significant investments of public money to purchase food for those sectors most heavily damaged. And then because the corn laws are gone, the marketplace will fix the other areas that are having that are being hit the hardest. Hmm. But his cabinet again, he his cabinet is conservative. He is he is the head of the conservative government. So his cabinet completely rebels against this idea. They're saying that, well, okay, number one, repealing the corn laws will destroy British life it'll destroy the british social hierarchy and really mess up all your friends great lives peel so don't do that right (laughs) Mm -hmm. and they thought that purchasing food with government money would basically again create a system where people were stuck on getting relief from the government they thought Mm -hmm. that's not the answer Charity should step in and fix this, but it's not the government's job to get rid of
0: poverty, right? Oh, they think poverty bed. is just a thing, you yes. know? So it's just natural position, you know, position of those drunken, so, you know, that <laughs> drunken subset of uh, bottom feeders.
1: Now here's the thing. The Corn Law was already super unpopular in some circles, right? Capitalists <laughs> at the time, they think the Corn Law is really bad government. It's bad economic policy. And there's some good reasons to think that that's probably true, right? Um, they they really had, I think, a pretty good case. The issue is that the corn law, like anti corn law, sentiment was also kind of tied up with like almost utopian, f- like fantasy, right? They thought that like mm-hmm. the capitalist society would be the perfect society, and all this other crap and whatever. So, um, mixing the corn law question. With the question of how to help the Irish, it, it really just kind of creates cover for these landowners to say, you know, to, to not just have to say outright, we're unwilling to help the poor. Now they can say repealing the Corn Law will destroy the British world. You know, it, it allows them to yeah. have kind of a red herring to point to. Yeah,
0: well, it's, it, it allows them to keep a bubble going. Right. And they yeah. can just keep all these things inflated. They don't ever have to come down from it or help. Right. Or distribute like they were saying, like if you're going to actually bring this stuff down, it's it's going to affect the landowners.
1: Yes, exactly. So you end up with the, and this is kind of the this is the central issue and really like the central circle that happens of argument with the famine. You have... On the one hand, people arguing that we can't, we cannot harm British merchants by lowering prices and taking a capitalist approach. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, we can't purchase food with government money because that goes against capitalism and will destroy the country.
0: But I mean, it, it's a catch-22 because really an artificial bubble is against capitalism. Listen, You're it's all against it up right it's you're all against it capitalism it's crazy it's not, right? it's, not a, it's it's not the invisible hand of the market if you're if you're making it do something if you're making it cost more no your hand is on the scale Your hand, your hand, yeah, is, on your the hand scale. is on the scale but then I would almost say that it is that charity or giving or making out or, or having the government buy food for the people is at least more of a a capitalist because a, a capitalist venture because at least they would still be buying something at a competitive rate hypothetically. Well,
1: all right, kind we're of? we I know so. we are going to get into this after the break. Ugh, speaking, speaking of crony capitalism.
0: Speaking of crony capitalism, now a word from our sponsor.
1: Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. And we're back. All right. Marie, you have you have hit on the third rail of the Irish famine government policy at the time. You would have been a great social critic in 1845
0: to 1850. Well, I wouldn't have been able
1: to read or own That's land. Good. That's a good point. So, Sorry.
0: Yeah, and I probably would be dead by now. So, yeah. But other than right. those things, it would
1: have been super, <laughs> super. You have, if you, if you think about it, right, just think about it logically. There are two main methods of stopping a famine from de- decimating a population with starvation. First, you can have government intervention in the marketplace, right? Like you can have the government buy food. You can have relief programs or housing or whatever. Different ways to like feed the people. So you can either give them direct food and shelter, or you can give them jobs through which they can then purchase food. Yeah. You can put That's away. one option. Yeah. Another option is you can open up the marketplace to cheaper imports of food, so you make it more attractive to import food into the UK. Mm-hmm. You lower mm-hmm. trade barriers that already exist. Mm-hmm. You invest in more ships or something, right? There's there's options again that the government can take to either solve this in a way that is more Government direct intervention Mm -hmm. or government helping the market intervene.
0: Yeah, you pay for people to uh, to grow and sell different crops.
1: Here's the problem. The Mm. corn laws make either option either ineffective or outright impossible. And the holdover, like the hangover from the corn laws mixed with this belief in the, the angel of capitalism will make it impossible. Like nothing will work. So think about this, right? Importing corn from cheaper regions, it's argued, would destroy the UK economy. So it's going to further plunge a country already undergoing economic hardship due to the blight in a further disarray. So essentially they're arguing the one part of the economy that's doing good is the sale of grain right now. And you want to F that up? And so you're going to turn a country that has 50% starvation into a country that has 100% starvation? What are you, a communist? That's crazy! That's crazy! That'll never work. Right? American flags for everybody. (laughs) On the other hand, they argue using government means to provide relief to the public. That won't even be effective if the cost of grains is kept high by the corn laws, right? So if you are working on a relief project, it becomes impossibly expensive if the government is required to pay high prices for corn because of a law that the government themselves made.
0: Yeah, you see, this is just this is why this isn't going to work. This isn't going to end well. So this actually it's great.
1: Cra- yeah, it's 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 insane. It's insane. So Peel, Sir Robert Peel, again, the, the the prime minister at the time, uh-huh. he has to order a secret purchase of corn from America for distribution oh. in Ireland to try to help them. Oh, Okay, he does it in secret. He orders hundred thousand pounds worth of corn, so British pounds worth of corn from the Americas.
0: Oof, can you imagine if that would have gotten out? They would have drawn and quartered him. Right? Well, I mean, here's that, the... that would have been that would have been like treason almost, right? Well, I mean, he's buying it from America to give to
1: Ireland. It does. So it does come out. And here, here's the thing, right? Oh, uh-huh. He also, it's funny actually. So importing corn is like one option, right? Like literally mm-hmm. importing corn. Here's the problem though. Most of the Irish have never seen corn before. They don't know how to cook it. They don't know what to do with it. And the Mm -hmm. corn they're importing. Like, if you have corn today, corn is not exactly the easiest thing to digest.
0: (laughs) This this is true. This is true. And
1: the corn at the time was even less processed and like genetically modified to be good for you than the corn of today. So. They're sending corn to Ireland and the Irish are like, what the fuck do we do with these yellow rocks? Yeah. Are we supposed to
0: eat these? Yeah, because they don't even have the process to mill them. No, no, they have, none they have- <laughs> of the infrastructure to actually pro- to, to manufacture, or produce anything out of corn.
1: Exactly. There are no hand. There's no corn milling operations going on There's So there's they have no way of eating the corn that's being given to them in the first place. And so you end up having like stories of Irish peasants refusing to eat corn because they're like, that gives me diarrhea real bad.
0: Could they feed it to the livestock? I mean, isn't that something that they could then feed they, to...
1: They could, cows and, cows and they could in theory, feed it to the and... livestock if the livestock had not already been fucking... They're murdered. already
0: all dead, right? Yeah, they're Jesus, already... man. Eating. Yeah. All right, so, so nothing. They got
1: nothing. Nothing. So you She's end up wait. with... You end up with now... So now this is November, by the way. We've only gone through one month. Um... November comes around comes along and the the real scope of everything comes into really comes into stark terms. Right. They're reporting at least a third potato loss in basically every region of the UK and areas of Ireland are like 50 and, and upwards. There is not enough food to feed the people at all. And so finally... On the 20th of November, Peel will put together the first relief commission for Ireland particularly. And eventually, he will, by using the works, or working alongside with the Whigs, will be able to push for the Corn Law's repeal. Now, the first time he pushes for it happens in December. It doesn't work, and he resigns as Prime Minister. And the opposition party leader lord john russell is not able to form a working government so the queen is like too bad try again and hands it back to peel
0: can you can you imagine how bad that must be like Like, you're basically like i can't do anything i have to step down like this is the worst the worst situation that anyone could be in and i'm just done with it. i'm done with fighting with it i've done as much as i can let's let this other guy and the other guy's like nope i'm unable to form a working government so he's got to be put he has to be reinstated there's no other option
1: yeah and then the queen is like no you can't do that you must continue
0: we are not amused (laughs) well feed you to the corgis Sapir, we will need you to return. Sorry, we need to we need to just OK. Anyways,
1: look at my son. His jaw isn't even attached to the rest of his skull because of the inbreeding. So um, 1846, now we're in 1846. January of 1846, the first reports of death start to come in and they're bad. <sighs> they're real bad.
0: And so it's only three months. It's only like since it's only been three but months. They've, they've said, hey, it could get bad. It is three months later, but they're like, yeah, it's bad. And here's the bodies.
1: It's now real bad. That is bad. Russell's, um, Russell's wigs mm-hmm. are now also because again, they are, um, they're raring a go. Right. They had mm-hmm. a shot at power and they effed it up mm-hmm. and they're like, we're going to get our stuff together. We're coming back. So finally, um, Russell and the Whigs will be able to repeal the Corn Laws mm-hmm. in 1846. They're finally able to repeal them. Now, on top of repealing the Corn Laws, relief commissions are creating public work, public works projects that are going to um, that are really going to help. Uh, the thought is they're going to help the Irish in two ways. Number one. The Irish will be building infrastructure needed in the country.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And number
1: two, they're going to get paid for their work in a fair wage, and then they'll be able to buy grain or whatever other foodstuffs they can get in their local area.
0: Yeah, which was later used in America. Two problems
1: with that. Number one, Uh there's no food to buy in Ireland. That's problem one. Problem two. No one is in charge of these goddamn works projects. They're building roads literally that don't connect to each other. They're just building shit in like fucking nowhere, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> there is no rhyme or reason to the relief efforts. Things are so bad. They're like, just get, just have people doing something that we can pay them for.
0: Why do you think they were so bad? I'm looking at this, you know, the the study, the work that we've done in the in the notes and everything. And I'm really curious, like, Do you think that they were just, the British were so um, unfamiliar with, with aid and support that they weren't able to, 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 they weren't able to establish that. And they were so used to an extraction economy. They were so used to like not having to deal with stuff that the minute they had to deal with stuff, they were inept. I I mean, that's like a terrible way of saying it, but I'm like, because I mean, building roads, like public relief, and public works on that level are pretty, you know, you would think even again, like I'm I'm air quoting with the unskilled labor and people that are, you know, you're you're dealing with um, starvation and poverty there, but you might have a shot at building some roads. And it that was that didn't even pan out.
1: So it's interesting. There's kind of three main problems going on all at once. The first one is. It's like if if we were in charge, like if if we had to. Oh
0: well, you're screwed right there then.
1: <laughs> okay, not not us, not like. Um... <laughs> no, we can use we. We can use these. Can use these the are we. These are people who have never been to Ireland. Mm-hmm. So they are designing projects to be done on a it, what it might as well be another planet. With people that are starving to death, hmm. who don't speak English, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, like, like, there's a lot of reasons why it didn't work, mm-hmm. but I honestly think one of them is just like, in the best of times, this would have been a nearly impossible task, mm-hmm. I think, to have done um, from another country, you know?
0: That was my... My next question is like, do you think that these these would have worked better if they would have acknowledged the problem like a year earlier well here's
1: the thing they had the they, government right they had the, the they had
0: the shared government there for a very brief amount of time
1: at the beginning of the at the beginning of the famine, Scotland was also in dire straits right but these relief efforts worked in Scotland I think because or at least you know, Scotland also was hit were hit less badly than mm-hmm. Ireland and everything else. Mm-hmm. But I honestly think it's, Scotland is geographically connected to the rest of the UK. And so there already were, like, roads to go to, right? Like, there were already roads that yeah. connected Edinburgh, yeah. say, and, you know what I mean? So, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a continuity of of sort of language. It's a continuity of, of land, literally. Um, and it's easier to administer something when you're there,
0: right? Scotland was more industrialized. Exactly. Okay.
1: Ireland, they're like creating roads in the middle of green fields, right? These are brand new construction projects. The other problem is, honestly, Mm -hmm. anti-Irish sentiment in the government. Mm -hmm. Just because Peel wanted these projects to work did not mean the people leading the efforts wanted them to work. A lot of the people in the conservative government under Peel thought that these were wasteful, insane ideas and (laughs) they actively worked to make them fail. (laughs) And we're going to see that again with like the main uh, villain of the Irish famine, Charles Trevelyan. Right. Trevelyan wasn't like a huge government; He was an assistant secretary of the Treasury. All right. He was (laughs) in charge of Irish famine relief and he actively thought that helping the Irish with famine relief was a bad idea. You know, so it's kind of like, you know, putting it's like what we, what we just saw in the United States, right? If you put somebody in charge of the post office whose job full time it is to destroy the post office, yeah. that's that's probably not going to go super great.
0: I was going right? to say it's like putting John Bolton in the secretary of state to deal with the U.N. when he had been originally talking about dismantling the U.N.
1: Yeah, it's not a great it's like not a great call. The other
0: thing... It's not going to be super productive in a good way.
1: The other thing I think really is that... Again, in other areas, like you said, there were also... It's a, the it's a landlords. The landlords mm-hmm. also make up a big part of the problem, right? Mm-hmm. And... We'll talk about that a little bit more as we get deeper in here. Mm-hmm. But it's also that again, the landlords don't believe that the corn law should be repealed. And so again, they think that these sorts of public works projects or whatever, they think that they have to be destroyed. This is this is speculation, by the way. This is speculation, right? Mm-hmm. But You know, it's really the break with the conservative government that makes the Corn Law repeal possible. It's hard to know why these efforts did not work effectively, fully. Mm -hmm. One thing I will say is that these early efforts are more effective than later efforts by far. Mm. And so, ultimately what ends up happening, the Peel government is able to repeal the Corn Laws in 1846, but... That break with his party and the embrace of the Whigs means that he must resign by June 29th.
0: Finally, he gets to resign.
1: He does get to resign. Now, you might think, given everything we've talked about in this episode, that the repeal of the Corn Laws would mean better conditions for the Irish. But actually, it leads to much worse policies under the laissez-faire government efforts of the Lord John Russell.
0: Who's the dude who couldn't get it together early on?
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes, he is. So Russell takes over, like I said, in 1846. Basically, at this point now, because efforts at relief had not been working, but seemed to have worked okay in Scotland and in other parts of the of the of the uh, United Kingdom. The view of the Russell government and most government ministers is that these private works projects, which at this point, by the way, they're employing 71,000 different people daily. Basically their idea is that this isn't working because the Irish are impossible to govern.
0: It's 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 it's
1: it's Irish fault. Mm -hmm. And so the Russell government decides, well, this relief isn't working. We're going to shut down all relief efforts and let the market take over. (sighs) Now, the person put in charge of shutting down these efforts is the treasury <laughs> led by a Trevelyan.
0: Which, I mean, makes sense. Yes. Right? If you're going to be shutting something down monetarily, you would put the tree that the person in charge of the money would be, or a person in charge of the money would be good.
1: Now, the idea here is that they're going to shut down these public works projects that aren't working.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they are instead going to begin creating relief efforts that require the landlords and other taxpayers in-country to be responsible for the relief of the poor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh, but that's really not going to, that's not going to happen.
1: No, it's stupid That's as shit. That's like,
0: that is, that is, that it's, what's so funny is again, not to get political, but oh, well, it is so close to what happens recently, right? Where we give up with COVID relief, right? So we, we can't handle it from a national, or we don't want to handle it from a national level because we're going to screw it up so badly. So we're just going to let each state buy their own PP.
1: It's, it's crazy. Right? Yeah, right? We're, we're going to let them all
0: fight it out and take and, and decide yeah. what, what's best.
1: So Which
0: never <laughs> works. It never <laughs> works because you're fighting against one another and you're not getting people what they need. And you're, uh... you're, and you're, you're, you're letting the people on the top off the hook for making the, the big decisions that you are paying them with your tax dollars to make. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. It's crazy. I'm so glad it's that we've crazy. learned so much. From our past.
1: Keep going. It's crazy.
0: I'm just going to sit over here and chew on some glass.
1: uh, So again, in December of 45... (laughs) In in December of 1845, Peel puts in his first uh, resignation,
0: Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then
1: finally, um, the government is um, taken over by Russell. In January, though, 46, Trevelyan, Charles Trevelyan becomes the really kind of important figure here in this. He is the permanent secretary at the Treasury. And so his role really is to basically kind of fight back against the – not only really fight back against, I guess, but he's one of those executive functionaries in government whose role it is to make sure that, like, the Treasury, the economy, is taken care of, right? But now, here's one of his... Here's a quote from him. So he says, quote, Indirect permanent advantages will accrue to Ireland from the scarcity and the measures taken for its relief. Besides, the greatest improvement of all that could take place in Ireland would be to teach the people to depend upon themselves for developing the resources of the country instead of having recourse to the assistance of the government on every occasion. End quote. God, what dick. Now... Indian corn finally makes its way to Ireland in February of 46. Remember how before I said that they got diarrhea from eating it? Yeah. They actually called it Peel's Brimstone. Ah. Um, <laughs> it's funny. just hilarious. That
0: is pretty funny.
1: But again, so they basically take over and they say these efforts to, to help people should be stopped, right? Now, there were different efforts at the time, right? There were food depots, mm-hmm. there were these public works projects, there were these other mm-hmm. things. But essentially, they decide by August, the green depots are going to be closed. The public works projects have to be stopped. And the rate payers, the taxpayers of Ireland should be the ones to take over the burden of paying for Irish relief.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So some of these start to be mm-hmm. things like... Basically, the government goes around to the rich and starts asking them for donations. Mm -hmm. And the rich are like, why would I do that?
0: Yeah, yeah, no. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. They do not want to be. They do not want to do that.
0: Well, they've never been incentivized to help. Right. Exactly. The other thing, it's like they've never been. There's been no impetus to give back anything. So why would they start now?
1: And that's where we're going to end this episode. Next episode, we'll get into the beginnings of the Russell government and really see why people don't think of this as just another natural disaster. They think of this as, in the most charitable viewing, an example of horrible government management of a crisis, and in the least charitable view towards the British government, an active genocide of the peoples of Ireland, and an attempt really to rid the United Kingdom of peoples that the government at the time believed were just a burden. And so next episode, we'll pick up with the Russell government and the years 1846 to the end of the Irish famine. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show. Please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at MadScientistpod or at Team Giant Squid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. hmm If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. We love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen. Our web design is done by Desdemona Howard. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal.
0: Thanks again for listening. (laughs) Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production.
1: You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes. And luckily